today we'll be looking at John 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Um, as you are aware at the moment, I'm, I'm going through a series on who is Jesus and I'm looking at the I am statements of Jesus. But just before I, I bring our message today, I want to just share something very quick and little about the way preaching works here at Aldinga Baptist Church. Um, because some have asked me, especially when it comes to topics, why don't we do the same things? I mean, at present, you've got Frank doing Songs of Revelation, Mark's just finished, Matt's just finished Philippians, and Mark's doing Colossians. And when I return from two weeks off in February, I'm going to be preaching fully the book of Ruth. And many have said, whoa, whoa, what's going on? That's too many. Why don't we just do one? And so that, one, that way everyone is on the same page. Well, we have talked about this at staff meetings. And um, obviously, you know, we have fo focused on why don't we just preach the same thing and follow the same series. My belief is, number one, I like variety, especially from the pulpit. Um, and also, I want to give these guys the freedom to be able to preach on what God is revealing to them. And I know I have been told to preach on certain topics before as a guest speaker, and I find it really hard. And thankfully, when we talked about it at staff, so did Dave. But a comment has been made to me that they find it hard because... We don't remember from week to week, especially when we break them up. I want to say to you, that's okay. My first sermon I preached here was why preach. Not that you remember. Boom, boom. But I said, we tackled this question at a pastor's gathering at Queensland Baptist one day. And one of the big stumbling blocks, well, we said, why shouldn't we stop preaching? Because no one remembers our sermons. And the guy from Queensland Baptist shared a story, and he says, I think it was John MacArthur. He wasn't sure, but he thinks it was. Anyway, he said, John MacArthur at his church, he was preaching through the book of Romans, and it took him two years. And someone come up to him and said, look, I, I can't remember the sermons that you're preaching. You know, he says, I can't remember back this and back then. And John looked at this guy and said, oh, really? He said, can you tell me this? He said, can you remember what you ate for tea this time last year? What did you have for dinner? And he said, no. And he said, well, can you remember what you had for dinner six months ago tonight? He said, no. He said, well, what about last Sunday? Can you remember last Sunday? And he said to him, 
you might not be able to remember what you had for dinner even last night. But don't worry, because those meals nourished me. You stand before me nourished and healthy, he said. Your failure to remember what you ate doesn't remove the value of the past meals and what the value they've had on you. Well, this is similar to the value I see of past sermons. Some of you have probably heard hundreds, older people probably thousands of sermons. Nevertheless, I'm quite sure you can only remember a small percentage. That's okay. Just like those past meals we can't remember eating, even though you don't remember what you heard, the power of the Word of God is not conditional upon you remembering or recalling past sermons. As you listened, I'm quite sure God nourished your faith when you needed it at that time. So what I believe and what I've said to our staff is preaching here isn't served or done so that we remember every word or every dot point. Preaching is served to nourish our souls from the Word of God. Preaching is done to encourage you, to equip you to go out for that week. And that should happen regardless of who is preaching or from where they're preaching from. So I hope that makes a bit of sense. And um, thank you for those that have asked me why we do it this way. Um, it's just some crazy Garth idea. <laughs> so Garth is, yeah. I actually love not having to preach every week. Um, when I was in Melbourne, I preached every Sunday. And, and I said to the church, it's not beneficial to the church. It's not good for the church just to hear from one person. And I love the fact that we have good God-honoring men that are good teachers as well. Anyway, back to the I am statements. Today we're looking at one that, unlike all the others, don't get much of a mention. It's not a very popular one. But before we do, how about I pray? Father God in heaven, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for who your son is and what he reveals to us by what he says. And Father, I pray as we look at this passage today, I want to ask that you will bless us, encourage us, equip us, and sustain us and nourish us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If I was to say to you, how'd you get in here today? It's a dumb question. You got in by walking through those glass doors outside and through these doors, and you walked in this one. Just stop for a moment. Just think of the morning. How many doors have you walked through this morning? No doubt you've walked through a few. Most of us don't give a lot of thought to doors, but if we were to stop and think about certain doors, then we would, could come up with all kinds of different emotions. We have doors in our lives that have caused us trouble or got us into trouble. I'm sure we can all remember a time when our parents have said, don't slam the door. I know I used to leave the door open and my grandpa used to say, shut the door where you're born in a tent. <laughs> One of my troublesome door memories is I remember when I, I lived with my mum in Adelaide and I used to do something and I used to tell her off or I'd be rude or whatever. I would take off down the hallway, close my bedroom door and I would sit behind it. And so, and she would bang on it and she'd say, open this door right now, young man. We have doors that cause us pain. A common childhood injury has been slamming your finger in doors. Or I don't know if you've ever been silly enough when you weren't paying attention or you've walked into a glass door. We have doors that are fun. I can remember, I don't know what the building was, but it was opposite the trade hall. Broken Hill bought this, this building and it had these new things we'd never seen before, revolving doors. 
and me and my brothers used to go down and we used to run around <laughs> these doors. Um, they were awesome. We have doors that bring back special memories. I can remember my Nana's door and I can still hear the sound of it because I remember as soon as she walked into my Nana's door awaiting us was a white jar with a lid and inside that lid, inside that jar was lollies. We have lots of doors in our life, so much so that we tend to take them for granted. However, today, as we've just heard from the reading, we have a door like no other door you've ever had in your life. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. Jesus is the door. What's that supposed to mean? Part of the difficulty in understanding this metaphor of Jesus being the door is a lot of our modern translations have changed the word from door to gate. The Greek word used in this passage is thora, and most times it can mean gate, but most times it refers to door. Then we can also have the issue, we just want to skip past those verses that Jess read out before so we can get to the part where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. I mean, we're much familiar with the picture of Jesus being the good shepherd than we are of him being a door. Jesus is often pictured as a shepherd, and shepherding is used heaps in our scripture. But how often is he referred to or depicted as a door? Well, let's look at this statement and see if we can figure out what those verses are all about. The first thing that will aid us in understanding this first section of John chapter 10 is to see what Jesus says really here is a continuation from John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, you have the story of Jesus healing the man born blind. That man had received sight, confessed his faith in Jesus, and the only one as he, that he believed that Jesus was the only one who truly come from God. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees, declared that Jesus was not from God. And so rather than attack Jesus, they attacked this man. They kept attacking him, attacking him, and attacking him until they eventually, they drove him out. They kicked him out. We would say they excommunicated him. Now we're told that Jesus heard that this man had been kicked out or excommunicated. And so he went to find him. When he found him, Jesus said to him, do you believe in the son of man? The man said, I believe. And of course he did. The man was once blind, but because of Jesus, he could now see. The religious leaders thought they could see, but they're actually blind. So they're upset. So they go to Jesus. And so the conversation that we just heard begins. As you heard in John 10, Jesus speaks to these Pharisees. He says, listen here, Pharisees. And he uses the imagery of sheep, sheepfolds and shepherds. It's a rural and eastern image to be sure. But even in our world, we can get some things out of this. It's an image that can say a great deal to us today. This passage sets the scene of a normal day of sheep and shepherding. That's why Jesus used it. In verses 1 to 5, he's referring to the morning of the shepherd forming a flock, caring for the flock and getting them together. Then in verses 7 to 10, it's the afternoon where he's feeding the flock and sending them out. Shepherding was normal part of the culture, much like going to the supermarket is for us. The metaphor is repeated in scripture over and over again. When it comes to farming sheep, 
we Aussies tend to have things in mind like paddocks, shearing sheds, fences, and everything like that. But that's not an accurate comparison to what Jesus is talking about. On the outskirts of many villages, they had community sheepfolds. This is where all shepherds brought their flocks each evening. In the morning, the shepherd would pull their sheep and each flock would follow the shepherd out of the sheep pen. The sheep knew their voice of the shepherd and would follow him and no one else, Jesus tells us. To understand this metaphor, I'm the door, we first have to understand Middle Eastern sheep pens. This will give us a better understanding. So, imagine for a moment, we're on a tour of the Holy Land. We're walking around and we come across something like this. A structure that is quite high. These things are about eight feet high. And it's really thick that you can't pierce it. As we walk around it, we wonder what can it be. We see an opening or a doorway, but there's no door. Then a man appears. A club swings from his belt. He has a staff in his hand, and behind him are a flock of sheep. As he approaches, we question him, and to our delight, he speaks English. The obvious first question we ask him is, who is he? And he says, I'm a shepherd. Great. And then the second question we ask him, what is this thing? He tells us that this structure we're looking at is a sheepfold. We look at him and ask him another question. Do you keep your sheep in there at night? Yes, he replies. As you can see, the walls of rock, they're quite high, and so no one can jump over them. He tells us sometimes at night, to be doubly sure, I sometimes put thorny branches on top of the walls for extra protection. That also helps in stopping thieves climbing over the walls to steal my sheep. Yeah, that's all well and good, but how can they be safe without a door? I mean, it doesn't matter how high the wall is or how many branches you put up there, you're still left with this dangerous opening. With a, and with an opening like that, any sheep in the middle of the night can get out, or worse still, these robbers that you talk about can get in. Now, we're a helpful bunch, and thankfully on this trip, we brought Brian. And so we tell him, today's your lucky day, young man. We're going to bless you. We're going to build a door. We'll build you a door to this thing so it can be safe. Then he looks at us and he says, don't need one. already have a door. No, you don't. Where is it? Then with a twinkle in his eye, he stands tall and says, I am the door. He says, what? And we say, what do you mean you are the door? Well, in that dangerous opening, as you call it, I build myself a shelter and I bed there in that opening. I sit here and keep watch until I fall asleep. I become the door. So we look at him and say, hang on, hang on. Let's get this straight. At night, you put your sheep in this enclosure. Then you, to stop anything from getting out or in or any dangerous thieves or wild animals, you lay across that opening, you sleep there. Yes, I do, he replies. You stay there all night? I do, he replies. Well, what if the weather's really bad? What if it's pouring with rain? Do you stay there then? Yes, I do, he replies. Well, do you stay there no matter what animal comes along? I mean, what if a lion or a bear or a wolf or a thief comes to try and steal your sheep? Do you still stay there then? I do, he replies. Then to prove his point, he draws back his eastern robe, and sure enough, there are scars on his arms and body. 
He explains that these are wounds which he suffered as he tore up animals while defending his sheep. A common practice. And then the final thing he says, I don't need your door. I'm the shepherd become the door of this sheepfold. I give my life for my sheep once they're inside. No door you could ever build me would be as good as that. That's the picture that was in Jesus' mind when you heard him say, I am the door. With that as our background, knowing the fact that Jesus says, I am the door is part of a conversation helping to settle an argument with this excommunicated man and the religious leaders, this statement isn't just about helping to settle an argument. It is pointing to a true fact. It is a statement on authority on how does one get into the sheep kingdom or how does one have a relationship with God. It's a statement that not only points out the why and how he can heal this man to the people of the day, it's also a statement to all people of how anyone can come to him and be healed. We can learn what Jesus as the door means to us today. I said in all of these I am statements, Jesus talks about what we're saved from, but more importantly, what we're saved to. And in this conversation with the Pharisees, Jesus gives some wonderful practical pictures. As you will see, Jesus as the door has some wonderful blessings for us. What are some of these pictures? Well, my first one is this. Jesus as the door is a picture of decision. Jesus says, I am the door. In this, he is saying he himself gives us access into the Father's presence. That's what he's telling this blind man that was healed. That's what he's telling the religious leaders. And that's what he still says to us today. As I said before, the Greek word used in this passage, Dora, most times in scripture is used to describe a door. But what is interesting, it is to describe a door that is open with the opportunity of doing something about that door. I guess that's why he goes on to say, I am the door, if anyone, if anyone enters in. Jesus is saying that he is the door, is an open door. He is there to give us access into the Father's presence. But as I just said, the word in scripture used to describe the open door comes with the opportunity of doing something about the door. What's the point of knowing that Jesus is the open door into God's presence unless you take the opportunity of doing something about that fact? That's something Jesus wants us to do is become part of the whoever's enters into the door. That's why the door is a picture of decision. Do you know, I find it sad throughout my ministry, I've met people who admire the door. They talk about the door. They sing about the door. They argue about the door, but they've never entered the door. <laughs> they've never taken that step. Sadly, there are those who are content to stand and marvel at the door. They just stand and look with an interest in Jesus, but they've never crossed the threshold. They admire his life. They admire his death, his teaching, his examples, but they've never taken the opportunity to do something about that adoration. They've never entered the building. They've never gone into God's presence and let that be a living example to themselves. 
at the door, you're in a place of decision. When you see and understand Jesus is the opening door into God's presence, you see the opportunity of doing something. Jesus as the door is a picture of decision. It's a picture that asks this, do you want to take the gift of Jesus Christ and enter into God's presence or not? That's the decision. That's what's laid before the man, the religious leaders and everybody. To stand before Jesus Christ the door and to make no decision at all is the wrong one. To make no decision at all is to stay on the outside of the presence of God. Can't be like me on that revolving door and just keep going round and round. You've got to take the step. This door is a picture of decision. In fact, it's a picture of the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. And that leads me to my next point. Because you heard the religious leaders didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. It's also a picture of salvation. Jesus says there are two ways to get into the sheepfold. Through the door or jump the wall. Jesus says anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs another way is a thief and a robber. They're trying to take something away that's not theirs. Who are the thieves and robbers that Jesus is referring to? The religious leaders he's talking to that oppose Jesus. He says, I am the door. I'm the one into the sheep pen. If you're going to try and get in any other way, you're robbing and stealing the very thing that gets you in. In Jesus' day, there were many leaders and many cults and philosophies, but none of them entered by the door. They were all thieves and robbers. In some way, when we think of our own context, there are similarities. We too live in an age of competing faiths and beliefs. We live in a world of supermarket pick and mix spiritualities. We live in a world that promotes tolerance at the cost of truth. And that's dangerous. I shared at youth group a couple of nights ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I said to our youth, and I said, do you know there's one great lie that does our world around and around and around? I said, the greatest lie is this that Satan uses. What is true for you, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. Truth doesn't work that way. What if you're talking about money, medicine, or measurements? That statement would never stand. That's true for you, but not true for me. When it comes to money, medicine, and measurements, there are absolute truths that must be denied. Imagine if a friend owed you $100 and he paid you back with 10 $1 coins. Would you accept the payment? But if he said to you, look, they're both the same. You know, that's true for you. That's $10 for you. But for me, it's true. It's only $1. Would you agree? Or suppose our local chemist used arsenic instead of penicillin in the prescription because he believed that, you know, it's both the same thing. They do the same thing. Would you swallow the medicine? Or if a carpenter built you a bookcase 20 centimetres wide by 40 centimetres tall, where he actually asked for one that was two metres by four metres, and he argued a metre's the same as a centimetre, doesn't really matter. That's true for you, but not true for me. Would you pay him for his work? If we want absolutes in matters that concern measurements, money and medicine, why not on the matter of personal morality or faith? People always get upset when it comes to religion or morality or faith because they say there are many ways. No, there's not. Oh, that's true for you. That's not true for me. That truth doesn't work that way. 
it is either true or it's not true. There's no half truth. Peter warns us in 2 Peter 1, 2 Peter 2, 1 to 3 against false teachers who try to exploit us with fabricated stories. The word fabricator in the Greek is plastos. From that we get our English word plastic. And what Peter's saying is they come in and they use plastic words. These words can be molded and twisted to mean almost anything. And he warns the church, be careful of that. False teachers may use what appear to be Christian vocabulary, but they don't use a Christian dictionary. They use the same words, but different meanings. Our society now wants to get rid of plastic because it's dangerous. Well, the church should be the same. These false teachers do not believe in absolutes, and therefore they're dangerous. There is such a thing as the truth, and no amount of plastic words will ever change it or replace it. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is identified with salvation. He and only he is the door. He says to enter the door by him is to have salvation. If you're looking for salvation, but it doesn't have Jesus as a first point of contact, you're at the wrong door. You're at the wrong place. You're at the wrong building. Could it be more simple? You'd think not, but they still didn't get it. By coming through the door, one is saved. There is no other door in which that is true. No other access, no other way. Jesus is speaking here of the most exclusive terms. There is no other door into God's kingdom and no other way into forgiveness than he himself. Some people like that and some people don't. They will reject it. The door is just the same today as it was centuries ago. Though many attempts have been made to widen it, many have brought them in different ways to try and enter it, salvation still comes from the same narrow way as it ever was through the narrow gate, the door and that road. Now, you're probably sitting here and thinking, I've done that. I'm one of the whoever's. Why are you doing this? Well, if those of us that are inside the building, you have been saved to some things that Jesus pointed out here. You have some blessings just like me walking into my nana's house for the lollygag. Let's look at some of the next pictures. Jesus as the door is a picture of freedom. You know, talk to people about freedom and you get many different opinions. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Hidden Figures. That's the movie with those women that work for NASA. They make a comment in the movie that has stuck with me. The black women made this comment. The oppressed never get freedom. The oppressed in this world can work at it, try to earn it, and even demand it. The sad truth is the answer is always the same for them. For those who are in the oppressed group of people, freedom is something that we will never experience. Don't know if you've seen the movie. Don't know if you remember that line. But that's a very sad view of freedom. But sadly, most people have a sad view of freedom. They believe freedom is being able to do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want. That's what they believe freedom is. With this view, it's no wonder many people think coming to Christ or becoming a Christian is losing freedom. Most people think that coming to Christ or becoming a Christian means somehow you're becoming slave to something. They think believing in Jesus means you've got to follow a whole lot of rules. 
They think believing in Jesus means that you've lost your freedom. You can't go and do what you used to do. But the opposite is true. The truth is that sin is enslaving. Paul mentions this in Romans 6. He says, if you're a sinner, you're a slave to sin. You're, in, you're controlled by sin. 2 Peter 2.19 says, People promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, they are enslaved to. People think about being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it is true freedom. But that's not freedom. That's sin. And it's not free. It's controlling. I mean, if sin is liberating and free, just try and stop it if it's not controlling. No wonder so many sin-related behaviours are called addictions. So many people need support groups or counselling to break away from them. Jesus as the door not only gives us salvation and eternal life, Jesus as the door brings freedom into our lives. He breaks the bondage of sin and Jesus as the door gives us the privilege of enjoying freedom. How? He tells us in verse 9. He says, my sheep will do this. They will go in and they will go out. They will go in and they will go out. What Jesus is referring to here is the beautiful balance of the different sheep going in and out of the pen and the pastures, all under the freedom and the careful watch of the shepherd. You understand no two sheep are the same, but the shepherd knew them and catered for them. Timid sheep would need to be kept in the fold longer to be cared for and watched. They need to be trained before they could go out into the pastures chosen by the shepherds. While out in the pastures, the sheep had no walls and they were free to move about. But sometimes out in the open, they would be exposed to all kinds of dangers. And so they would need to be brought back in again to the walls of the fold. The sheep had the freedom to go in and out of the pen and experience the pastures but they're also free to come back whenever needed to be cared for. The same is true for us as Christians. Jesus brings us into the fold of the Christian where we find safety and rest. Because of the new freedom we have in him, Jesus leads us out of the old fold and into new pastures where we find food, water and exercise. While it's true, sometimes away from the closeness of the flock and out in the pastures, we get into trouble. But he still gives us the freedom to go. But he gives us the freedom to come back to the flock. As Christians, we need to experience the pastures, but we also need the rest and safety of the fold. I visited a person this week from church who's had this very thing come to life in a new and exciting way. In their own words, they said, they were experiencing being out in the pastures and sometimes it was hard and they'd get hammered but they really enjoyed coming back being under the care of Jesus. That's what it means to be led by Jesus. Life is freedom and fulfilling. It takes on a whole new meaning and purpose. He says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. We do have an abundant life through Christ if we will let him lead us out of the fold to the pastures and then return to gain strength and comfort. Sure, at times while we're out in the pastures, it will be tough. But through Christ, we have rest. Jesus as the door is a picture of security. 
the door serves as protection for the sheep. Once the sheep were safely inside, as I said, the shepherd became the door. He laid across the opening, serving as the sheep protector, as the door of a sheepfold. Outside, there may be wind, snow, rain, and fire. Many a time when lightning had flashed and the sheep um, was on fire, the pastures, outside there was danger, death and doom. But inside, under the security of the shepherd, they had protection and security. Sheep felt secure because of the shepherd. A lot of folk today are looking for safety and security. Jesus is the only true place of safety and security. God has provided safety, security, shelter, salvation to the sheep who do what? Enter the door. When you go through the door, you're safe. There may be many paths that lead to this door, but there is only one door. There may be many churches showing the way, but there is only one way. There may be many folds in which the sheep are invited to come and find rest, but one has Jesus for a door. And only in that fold can we find rest. There is rest in his fold because they're safe. Nothing comes to us, but it must first go through the door to the fold as he watches over, never stumbles and sleeps, verse 49. Finally, Jesus as the door is the picture of heaven's door. I don't know if you've ever remember the TV show called Let's Make a Deal. It was hosted by Vince Sorrenti. Anyway, it was a show where you, you get prizes and stuff and you work your way up to a grand prize. And the way it worked is the last person who got through all the quizzes and everything was left. To win the grand prize, all they had to do was one thing, choose the right door. There were three doors, and behind one of those doors was the grand prize, be it a holiday or a car or whatever. Behind the other two were things like wooden spoons or tea bags or something like that. If they guessed the right door, they won the grand prize. Imagine if that's how God dealt with people on Judgment Day. Imagine he gets there and he says, three doors, but only one opens up to heaven. Choose one. You have a 33% chance of being correct. Not very good odds when dealing with eternity. How awful and frightening Judgment Day would be if that was the case. Well, thankfully, by the grace of God, our salvation doesn't depend on guessing. It depends on the open door of Jesus Christ. Remember the word? The Greek word says the door is already open. You don't have to guess to open it. It is open. Can we really be 100% sure? Absolutely. We can be 100% sure which door is the saving door. The Bible makes it very clear that there's only one door to heaven. And it's not the door of baptism, observing any sacraments, and making a profession of faith in some kind of public way acceptance by the church and it's certainly not by good works or your good deeds the door is not your family you're not born into a christian family or being christian home the door is christ himself he's open jesus is the way to god jesus is the way to the father jesus is the one and only saving door it is only through him that we can have forgiveness 
life and salvation. Only through him can we enjoy and be satisfied with the abundance of his blessings that he gives us with the freedom. Jesus is a picture of decision, salvation, freedom, security and heaven's door. It is only through him, his body that's been broken on the cross, his blood spilled for you and me, that we can be saved and he became that open door. But you must choose to go through the door. If you are here today, or if you have never, ever gone through that door or opened that door, take my mother's advice. Open this door now, Mama. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for the truth um, of your word and I thank you for what you tried to even say to those Pharisees so long ago and to that man that you healed. I thank you that you are the one and you are the only one and that anyone else that tried any other way was thieves and robbers. And Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in our lives and for the blessings and abundance that you give us every day. As we partake now in communion, as we celebrate the freedom we have because of the door that's been opened for us of your son, I pray that you'll encourage us, strengthen us, equip us for the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.